from a practical perspective. What is the meaning of the mitzvahs of Passover? With your permission. And um, if everyone's okay with that. Any objectors? Passover? Good. Um, first, I want to um, ask you guys, how many people here traditionally do a Passover Seder with your family? Is anyone planning on doing one this year, doing something for Passover? Keep your hands up or raise your hands if you're planning on doing something this year for Passover. Great. Now, if you don't have anything planned for Passover, please reach out to your local Rage representative, and we will help hook that up for you because it's definitely worthwhile experiencing a Passover. So does anyone know what the main thing we do on the night of Passover is? What's the main festivities called? A Seder. Excellent. We do something called a Seder. And what does the word Seder mean? Anyone know what the word Seder means? When you go to Israel. Oh, who said that? How did you know that? Okay. So I was going to say, when you go to Israel and you ask someone, how are you? Manishma, oftentimes the answer they give you is Beseder. Beseder Gamor. Beseder means everything's in order. Kind of a weird way to say <laughs> all is good. Beseder means everything's in order. The word Seder means order. And we go through a very structured order on the night of Passover. We go through a book called the Haggadah. This is an example of mine. And the Haggadah it was written um, over 1,500 years ago. We don't know who authored it. It's either uh, a late, um, from the times of the Talmud or a little bit after. And it goes through 15 steps. 15 steps that we go through on the night uh, of Passover. And... I want to talk about these 15 steps and what the goal of these 15 steps are. So before we, we start that, does anyone know what Passover is called in the Torah? It's not. Oh, wow. You guys are very advanced. Chag Hamatzos. It's the Matzah holiday. Now, that sounds kind of anticlimactic. It's like the cracker, cracker week, guys. Let's all celebrate our our freedom from slavery, cracker week. <laughs> all right. What is going on with the holiday of matzah? What's the significance of matzah? Why do we talk about matzah so much? Um, I don't know if you heard about um, – okay. okay. So what is the goal of the Seder? Now, we know, if you've been around long and a little while in um, my classes or some other discussions about Jewish mysticism, that in Judaism, we don't believe in commemorating ancient events, right? I think that a lot – I spoke to someone today said, you know, Rabbi, I'm not into the laws of Judaism. I'm not into the rituals, commemorations. It's all meaningless. I'm into the spirituality. I'm like, me too. But the amazing thing is that they go hand in hand when we can understand the meaning behind the rituals. But the goal is not just to commemorate ancient history. That's not the goal. On the contrary, we believe that 
when incredible moments took place in our history, spiritual revolutionary moments, such as the exodus of Egypt, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, and in other miraculous events, these events made a dent in the ripple of time. And literally, when those days come back around again each year, those energies come into the world, and we can tap into those energies. So what is the energy that comes into the world on Passover that we're supposed to tap into? What do you think? Anyone? Excellent. Freedom. Freedom. Crackers. No, like freedom. Like, so it's a night of freedom. It's a night when we're supposed to experience true freedom. And yet the night is called Seder, which means order and structure. Does anyone have a problem with that? Yeah, why? Isa? <laughs> no, that's it it sounds it sounds contradictory. A night of freedom and yet we're bound by this very strict order of these 15 steps that we go through. Ah. Excellent. Let's think about it for a second. What's the are we so certain that freedom and structure are contradictory things? Let's take, for example, anyone in the world who wants to get good at something. What do they have to do? Want to become a great musician or an athlete? What do you have to do? Practice. You have to enslave yourself to that thing. To quote Bob Dylan, you have to serve somebody. Everybody is a slave to something. The question is, what are you a slave to? The Talmud makes a, a pretty radical statement. It says that the only free people in the world are somebody who is connected to Torah. What does that mean? Who, who are most people enslaved to in this world? What are the types of things that people are enslaved to? Money, their bosses, parents, could be, spouses, Ay, that sounds terrible. What? Themselves, what do you mean by that? Limiting beliefs, negative thoughts, what else? Other people, food, drugs, physical pleasures, right? What about this? Anyone enslaved to one of these? Myself included? I uh, Hopefully, when I get back from Israel after Passover, I'm getting rid of this. Because I want to be free, you know? And I'm not free. Because every time this master beeps or buzzes in my pocket, I feel an urge to look at it. I'm not really free. You see, freedom is choosing 
choosing the things that we enslave ourselves to. People who have not thought about it, who are living a life that's not connected to Torah or higher calling, are enslaved to their bodily desires, their temptations, right? To uh, society's values, to their phone, right? But true freedom is choosing your master, deciding what your higher calling is, what your values are, and then focusing everything on that thing. If you want to be great at something, you have to enslave yourself by cutting out things that aren't part of your value system. Amazing thing, like, right? What what would you say the definition of free will is? What's the definition of freedom? The ability to to what? Make choices for what? What type of choices? The ability to do what? Is that it? Is it limited to that? The answer is yes. It is. Most people think the definition of freedom is the ability to do whatever you want, right? We're free to do whatever we want, right? That's not freedom. You know what it means, free to do whatever you want? It means chaos. That's not freedom. Anarchy. You know who does whatever they want whenever they want to? Animals. Animals do whatever they want whenever they want to. The definition of true freedom is the ability to not do what you want but to do what you should do, to do what's right over what you want. That's a uniquely human trait. So on this night where we're celebrating freedom, what we're really discussing is not the Jews coming out of Egypt. Because if I want to measure freedom on a scale, on a numerical scale, freedom from slavery, what is emancipation from slavery numerically? What's the numerical value of emancipation from freedom from slavery? Okay, being considered human. I mean, it, we don't know that the slavery in Egypt was considered us on non-human. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but generally, generally that is the case. But if you wanted to measure that. The, the no, we're no longer slaves. Our shackles have been taken off and we're free. What number would you say represents that experience? Scale of one to 10. Uh, I know it's a terrible question. It's a terrible question. I'm sorry for not explaining it better. Let me Let me answer for you. Sometimes people get it, sometimes they don't. The answer numerically, if I were to measure Slavery is like a negative 10. Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, slavery is a negative 10. It's really bad. Maybe it's a negative 8, right? What's cessation of slavery, getting rid of slavery? It's, it's a pinnacle of, hap, of goodness. It's great. It's amazing. Is the removal of something bad good? Or is it just neutral? <laughs> yeah. I would say I would say that the end of slavery is a zero. We're back to the beginning. We're back to the way human beings are when they, they're not enslaved. They're a zero. It's potential. It's potential. It's not grounds for celebration. 
Freedom is when you choose to utilize your neutral state to do something good. Freedom is a choice. It's not just the eliminations of the shackles that bind you. It's now choosing to do something great with your life. So what we're really celebrating on, on Passover is our ability to channel that freedom towards our values. Just like that concert pianist or the Olympist or the athlete or the bodybuilder or anyone who wants to do something great with their life, they have to choose what they're going to subjugate themselves to. Okay, so we're celebrating freedom. I want to run through these 15 steps with you really quickly, just so you get an overview of what the Seder looks like, and then try to share with you a theme that I believe is like the message the Seder is trying to tell us. Okay, and, and we'll start out with that with that message. Okay, the, the Seder, the, the Haggadah actually begins, and this book is called a Haggadah, it means the telling over. Okay, the Haggadah begins pretty early on, really right at the beginning, telling us what we're supposed to experience on Passover. It says that each person is obligated to see themselves as if they came out of Egypt. So the goal of this book is that we should experience the experience of elimination of our shackles, whatever that would feel like, and then the drive to now channel that freedom towards step number two, which is what are we going to do with our freedom? Okay, so what do you think the emotion that, that the Seder is supposed to bring us to is? What would you feel if you just got out of slavery? Relief. Great. What else? Like the excitement of what am I going to do with my life? What? Concern? It's not so easy. It's not so easy, right? Like, what's next? What's next? Where do we go from here? Right? What else What else do you think might be experienced? <laughs> there was a certain security. You know, with some of these ideas that you guys are saying, we could maybe understand why the Jews... Don't always do the right thing after getting out of Egypt. They're like, maybe we should go back. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. We had it really good there. Excellent. But we have to remember also the Jews are being guided. They're feel they're like literally existing in a miraculous existence. It's a miraculous going out of Egypt. They see the splitting of the sea. It's like amazing things happening. But I think there's a prominent, predominant emotion. That, that we would feel despite all those other things. And I'm sure that we would be experiencing all those things as well, a little bit of a bittersweetness. But I think if you think about it yourself, right? Imagine if you were like in a really bad job and you quit. What's going on when you get out of there? Yeah, you feel really good. And let's say someone else intervened and got you out of that job. What would you feel? Thankful. 
I think that the theme of the Haggadah is to bring us to an experience of gratitude. Because ultimately, what we're doing on Passover is we're giving over to our children the meaning of what it means to be a Jew. And what does it mean to be a Jew? Was anyone there for my um, Thanksgiving class last year? Anyone, do you know how to say Jew in Hebrew? You guys know every a lot of you guys know a lot of stuff, Hebrew stuff. What is how do you say Jew in Hebrew? Yehudi. And what does Yehudi mean? Lahodot means to thank. Yehudi means one who gives thanks. To give thanks. Literally, the essence of what it means to be a Jew is to be grateful. And that's one of the things we talked about last week, waking up in the morning and saying thank you. Did anyone try that, by the way? Anyone try saying thank you? Was it was it interesting? You want to share? Fiana? Wow, that's amazing. Keep it up. You like you're gonna keep doing it? Unbelievable. Thank you so much for sharing that. Amazing. So anyone else try it? <laughs> that's awesome i only think it on days when i get woken up too early which is most days <laughs> um that's great. So it's you're training yourself to focus on the positive, even though there's always something to be annoyed about. That's fantastic. And if it takes some refocusing your mind, if it's your second thought, that's also pretty darn good. All right. So gratitude. So let's let's figure out how the Passover Seder will bring us to a state of gratitude. And I'd like to understand, again, as we mentioned, What's the significance of the holiday? So we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about these 15 steps. And in these included in these 15 steps are three biblical mitzvahs. We're actually performing three biblical mitzvahs on the night of Passover. Does anyone know what any of the biblical mitzvahs are that we are performing? Anyone? I'll give you a hint. Two of them involve food. David, eating matzah. Eating matzah is indeed a biblical mitzvah. And we drink four cups of wine, which is a rabbinic mitzvah. It's not biblical. It's a rabbinic mitzvah to involve four cups of wine in the ceremony. Anyone else think of any other biblical things we're doing that at Passover? So there's another eating thing. 
that we do. In fact, there's a lot of eating things we do. Another biblical thing that we eat is something called morer or bitter herbs. You guys remember that one? So the eating of horseradish or lettuce is actually biblical. The Torah commands us to eat on the night of Passover matzah, morer, and something else that we no longer have today, which is the Paschal lamb, the Pesach offering, which is a sheep which was barbecued and eaten in family groups in Jerusalem. We don't do that outside the temple. We don't have a temple now. But those are the three biblical eating mitzvahs. And then there's one other mitzvah, and that's the bulk of what this book is about. And that is the telling of the story of the Exodus, to tell our children the story. So who are the stars of the show on the night of Passover? It's the kids. And the whole Seder from beginning to end is designed, and a lot of the rituals that we do are designed to get your kids involved and get them asking questions. Now, I'm assuming most of you don't have kids, right? So you might be the kids at the Seder. And no matter how old you are, the mitzvah of the night is to get your childhood side alive again. What's so unique about the child within? So children are, are open. They're open and they're curious. And the whole night is meant to get us to be curious, to ask questions. And I want to talk a little bit about the significance of questions. But let's just quickly run through the 15 steps. So the first step is Kadesh. We make Kiddush, just like we would on a Friday night. Take a cup of wine. This is the first cup of wine that we drink and we make a blessing on the wine and we essentially have the mindset of entering into the holy day. And if you light candles, typically women, it's a woman's mitzvah to light candles, but men can do it as well. Uh, you also have that in mind when you light candles that you're kind of sanctifying the day and entering the day. So start by lighting candles and then we make kiddush. Then we go to the kitchen and we wash our hands. It's called urchatz. We wash our hands and we, like we would before eating bread for anyone who's had a Shabbos meal before, but we don't make a blessing. We go back and sit down and then we take something called karpas. Does anyone know what karpas is? Celery, good. It could be anything actually, any vegetable, but a very small piece of vegetable and we dip it in salt water as was mentioned before. And again, there's different customs and explanations, but the simple explanation that we do this is just that the kids should be like, what in the world are we doing? And it gets the kids involved. Okay, so we eat this vegetable, make a blessing on it, and then something called yachatz. We break the middle matzah. And again, different explanations for why we're doing all these things. Um, one of the themes that I like to talk about, first of all, in the Karpas is that it's a type of, um, this really Pesach is known as the holiday of matzah, but the Torah also refers it to it as the holiday of springtime. Spring is a time of rejuvenation. It's a time of freshness. We are literally rejuvenating ourselves. Re, J, E, W, rejuvenating ourselves. We're connecting to the spiritual side within. We're connecting to the source of our national history. And we're connecting to the child within. We're trying to become young again. 
curious, optimistic, excited, spring cleaning, exactly. And it's no coincidence that spring cleaning takes place now, right? Because the, the Jews really invented it, right? Most people right now are going crazy cleaning their houses for the next two weeks of every crumb in their house. So then we break the middle matzah, and there's different explanations for why we specifically break the middle matzah. Not, we won't get into it right now. And then we begin the bulk of the night, which is called Magid. We begin telling the story of the Exodus. And we go through in incredible detail the different miracles that took place and the suffering that happened. And the more you talk about it and the more you learn about it, the better it is. But the style of telling the story is through question and answer. Finally, we finished that. And by then you're starving. Did it? I don't know if you ever heard the story there. Um, one of the great Hasidic masters, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who lived in the Ukraine uh, about 250 years ago, tells the following story. There were once two beggars. One was Jewish and the other was not. And the Jewish one said to his friend, you know what? We're always trying so hard to get food and to get money. On the night of Passover, I'm going to get you the best meal you ever had in your life. We're going to dress up. You'll pretend to be Jewish. I'll get you invited to a Passover Seder. You're going to love it. He says, great, can't wait. So they go to a Passover Seder. They're so excited. They sit down. He's all ready for the meal. And then they bring out a little piece of celery. He's like, oh, okay, appetizer. I like appetizers. He eats the celery, and he's waiting for the rest of the meal. But it doesn't come. And they're sitting around, and they're chanting, and they're singing, and they're telling stories and asking questions. And the kids are, are performing plays, and it's going on and on and on. And it's really late at night, and he's starving. And finally, they're like, oh, time to wash our hands for the meal. He's so excited, and they bring out crackers. He's like, all right, crackers, okay. He eats the crackers, and finally, he's like, all right, now where's the meal? They're like, all right, let's go. Next course, horseradish, bitter herbs. <laughs> lettuce he's like i'm out of here and he runs out and he misses of course the meal and the message is that you know just like in life you gotta stick around the good good time good things come to those who wait all right just so stick around the good times are coming so finally we finish the story of the exodus we wash our hands we make a blessing on the matzah we eat the matzah and ma eating the matzah is actually a meditation you're not supposed to speak while you're eating it. And you're literally eating the most boring, plainest substance in the world. You're literally tasting the sand that your ancestors walked on in the desert. And there's a tremendous meditation. We'll talk about it in one second. And then you eat the mora, the bitter herbs, which is either horseradish or lettuce. And then you have the meal. And that's essentially the story of Passover. So what's the goal? Why are we doing all this? How is this teaching us gratitude? So, of course, you're very grateful when you get through the whole story. You're finally eating the meal. But what's the underlying message? What does it take to experience gratitude? What's the underlying character trait that you need to cultivate to learn to be grateful? What do you guys think is underlying gratitude? What does it take to acknowledge the good that another person does for you? Uh -huh. Meaning if we've never had slavery, how can we really be grateful as if we'd come out of slavery, right? 
Wait, so, so what did you mean? <laughs> okay, but that, that's, that's valid. So, but think about it in your own life, right? We all have people in our life that have done good things for us. We have parents who have done tremendous things for us, teachers, friends. What does it take to show gratitude and express gratitude and feel gratitude for another person for the good that they've done for you? Okay. To recognize that they didn't have to do it, right? But but I think there's even one step beneath that, right? When you recognize that someone did something for you, that, that you're essentially saying that what the perspective is that I couldn't have done that without you. I need you, right? It's very hard to say thank you. Do you ever notice that? That it's sometimes it's it's a little threatening to be like acknowledge that like I really needed you. And I couldn't have done. You know how it's hard to ask someone for help sometimes. Why is it so hard to ask someone for help? Ah, oh, so the excellent Sharon. Yes, say it. Vulnerability, vulnerability, and humility. It takes humility to say thank you because you have to acknowledge, I can't do it all on my own. I need you. I need you. That's a very scary feeling. It's a vulnerable feeling. And it takes the character trait of humility. Humility, what's the definition of humility? So let's take a look at matzah. Matzah, according to our, our sources, is the bread of humility. It's the food of humility. What is matzah? What's so humble about matzah? Is humility a good thing anyway? I mean, like, is he, does humility mean you have low self-esteem? What is humility? Ah, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yoni. Excellent. Knowing your greatness, but not gloating on it. Excellent. So you guys, you guys are amazing. This is such a good group. So let's think about matzah. How does matzah embody humility? What is matzah? Does anyone know the difference between matzah and bread? So it's actually not yeast because you can make bread without yeast. You're right. Matzah doesn't have bread, but it's you can make bread without yeast. In fact, if you take flour and water and you mix them together and you wait a certain amount of time, which according to Jewish law is 18 minutes, so then you get what's called chametz, which is bread. Matzah is the same flour and water, but you cook it immediately. So it doesn't have time for something to happen. What happens when you let flour and water sit? Now, you're right, Isa. There is something that causes bread to happen, and that's called yeast. 
but you don't have to add yeast because naturally flour has yeast in it. So what happens? Yes, it has to rise. So if you take a pound of flour, a gallon of water, mix it together, you wait 18 minutes, you get bread. It starts to rise. Same pound of water, same pound of flour, gallon of water. You bake it right away. It doesn't rise. You get it. You have a, the, the same amount of matzah, same amount of bread, but they look different. What's the difference? Bread, it ferments. And what does it look like? What's the qualitative difference? Ah, so that same amount of ingredients, they're the exact same thing. They look totally different. The matzah is flat. The bread is all puffed up. What's really different? What's inside that bread? Hot air. The difference between matzah and bread is that matzah looks bigger than it really is. It's inflated ego. You know what matzah is? And this is the definition of humility. It is what it is. That's the definition of humility. Being who you are without trying to be something that you're not. Without trying to show off and have an, an ego or an image that you're trying to keep. It's being who you really are. And if we can learn to be who we really are, that is the definition of freedom. Being true to yourself, being your real self, without any errors, without any pretensions. So matzah represents humility. Why are we so caught up in this? Matzah, the holiday of crackers? Because matzah teaches us the, the path to experience true freedom and true gratitude is through deflating your ego. Not being bigger than you are, but being comfortable with who you are. Being real about who you are. What does this have to do with asking questions? Because what does it take to ask a question? Excellent. It's knowing you knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and the, being able to be vulnerable and say, I don't know this. And that, again, requires humility. The whole night is designed to get us to a place of recognizing that we can't do it on our own. We need each other and we, ultimately we need Hashem in order to bring us to our purpose in life. See, freedom is a zero. It's an opportunity. It's potential. What are we going to do with our freedom? We have to learn to utilize our true traits to be who we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do in this world. As we discussed last week, we were all created with a unique purpose. And when we tap into that purpose as a Jewish people, as an individual, we can literally transform the world. Jewish people got out of Egypt. They didn't celebrate. You know what they did? They started counting. Counting towards what? And we actually do this. The night of Passover, we start counting the very next day. Do you know what we're counting towards? 49 days. What took place 50 days later after we got out of Egypt? We received the Torah of Mount Sinai. 
It's not enough to be free from slavery. We have to now channel that to do great things in the world, to utilize our freedom to fulfill our mission and our purpose in this world, to be the best we, the best us that we can be by figuring out what our value system is and then channeling and are slaving ourselves to what we really believe in and saying no to everything else that is not true to who we really are and what we really believe is true. So that's the message of this night. We're going to literally eat the most plainest food in the world. It tastes like sand. And as we're eating it, we're going to focus on being grateful for who we are because we are great simply by being ourselves. That is greatness. We're going to taste the bitterness of the suffering that we've been through in our lives and recognize that all the steps along the way in our life journey, all the traumas, all the hardships, all the questions that we have of why did this have to happen to me? Why did I have to lose a loved one? Why did I have to go through this trauma or this challenge? It's all part of the journey to bring me to my greatest possible self because it's through the hardship and through the suffering that we that brings out our greatness. So I want to wish you guys all a beautiful Passover. You'll be discussing more of these themes next week. And uh, hopefully I'll see you guys all in Jerusalem this year. We end the Seder saying, And I hope that it will come true now that this year we'll all be in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover together. Thank you, guys.